for those, we're taking a one-week break from our current teaching series, What's So Good About the Good News, and we're going to do something that we've only done twice before in the history of our church and that I think you'll find meaningful. But to get into that, uh, I want to say for those of you who follow the news in the States, you're probably delighted that the American uh, presidential election is over. Uh, for well over a year, one of the dominant news stories, certainly in the U.S., has been the uh, presidential election campaign. A vast amount of effort was expended, and over a billion dollars U.S. was given and spent in the effort to win the American presidency. Of course, uh, the reason that so much energy and money was expended uh, was because regardless of politics or a person's politics, people in America and where other elections are taking place from time to time know that leadership is important. In business, of course, the leadership, leadership shapes uh, the organizational culture of a company, the climate, environment, relationally that people work in, often affects, of course, the company's profitability. In families, uh, dad and mom's leadership over the period of time that they have them uh, profoundly shapes just about every aspect of a child's life, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, educationally. And then in education, our teachers uh, normally determine our attitudes about a given subject and how much we learn, uh, sometimes for life. If we have an outstanding teacher, they can intrigue us and inspire us into the study of a subject that can, of course, have great effect over time. Well, of course, in the Christian community, the quality of leadership is equally important. Our spiritual leaders deeply shape our view of God and sometimes uh, can profoundly affect whether we develop our relationship with God, are inspired to learn more and grow in that, or even abandon a relationship. Sometimes uh, uh, poor or fallen Christian leaders have caused people to become bitter and resentful and disillusioned and abandon their faith, at least for a period. Uh, but because spiritual leadership is as important as any other kind, the New Testament provides us with some very specific instructions about the type of people that we should look for in the Christian community uh, that, that we want, that we should look for to appoint to the function of leadership in the church. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of the New Testament teaching on the subject is how little it resembles the modern management literature on leadership. Uh, the management literature often focuses on the skills needed by decision makers, and the Bible focuses more on the character qualities. It zeroes right in principally on what type of character a person has and directs us to look at a person's character qualities and lifestyle uh, before we choose to appoint them to leadership over his people. And the assumption of the Bible is that if an individual, a man or woman, 
displays several important, very important character qualities and has healthy relationships, uh, they can probably be trusted as our spiritual uh, leaders and decision makers. Now, Paul, for those of you familiar with the teaching on the subject, he uses masculine pronouns in his teaching on the subject of Christian leadership, but the character qualities that he describes are critical for both men and women leaders in the church. Of course, there are many leaders in the church. We have many, a number of very critically important women leaders in our church in uh, working with the children, the teens, and women's ministry, and a variety of other uh, administrative roles that are really critical to the functioning of the church. So these qualities are not just relevant to men, even though Paul uses the masculine pronouns in this. Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, is one of the most important passages in the Bible on this subject. And he says in verse 7 of that letter, he says this. Excuse me, I've got a little bit of a cold this morning. It says, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be above accusation as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker, not confrontational, not greedy for money. Excuse me. Now, he first describes six disqualifying characteristics of what a leader in God's kingdom program cannot be or must not be. First, above accusation. Now, this is a person who doesn't have any air of suspicion about them. That is, they're, they're known in the community as a person of reliability and integrity and trustworthiness, uh, particularly because he says as God's steward, it implies in the management of money and finance. So, of course, if we observe people over time, we can discern who it is that we think, okay, this is a very stable, reliable, trustworthy uh, person who most definitely is above accusation. And, of course, if we do not know whether or not we don't have a sufficient knowledge of a person to be able to make that kind of decision, we, we need to know them before we appoint them to leadership. Second, Paul says they must not be self-willed. Now, this is a tempted description of what he's getting at here. I think a self-willed person is unable to look objectively at their own opinion and ideas. That is, they, don't, they aren't particularly good at distinguishing between their own ideas and what may or may not be God's agenda. Uh, one of the, their ideas can become very personal and something that must be defended at all costs so they cannot step outside of their own particular framework of opinions and then carefully and very uh, prayerfully analyze and think through the ideas and opinions of others. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament, and I think one of the most important verses in the Bible is in James chapter 3 when James describes the qualities of wisdom from above. 
And he says the wisdom from above, that is, if a person is an, uh, expressing wisdom, he says that wisdom will be peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. So the wisdom from above is going to come through a person or create an environment in which there is reasonable, gentle, peaceful dialogue so that the volume doesn't get turned way up. And of course, this has great relevance to our marriages and our business relationships, all kinds of situations that we face on a normal, routine basis, because all of us, sometimes as parents, in our marriages, at work, we face very complicated challenges and problems. And sometimes it's really hard to sort out, okay, given this particularly set of complex variables, what's the best alternative? What's the best choice here? And James says that if we are connecting with wisdom from above, everybody, most people in a discussion are looking out for the best uh, alternative in marriage. So, you know, normally, you know, we all want some basic common things. They want a healthy relationship. We want healthy kids. We want them to get a good education. We want to get them some knowledge of God. Of course, the disagreements so often come in, how do we get there? Or how, to, how do we resolve this given problem that we're facing? And so a self-willed person is going to be impetuous, demanding their own opinion and unable to carefully and gently and reasonably think through another person's feelings, thoughts, ideas, and perspective. Because that person may have wisdom from above that we desperately need to sort out the, the answer to a given problem. He says they're not quick-tempered, that is, not prone to anger or heated emotion, because this kind of person, of course, will dis disrupt a peaceful, rational uh, discussion of a problem or a, a goal or whatever it might be. Not a heavy drinker. That is, the Bible never forbids uh, consuming alcohol in any situation, but it does prohibit consumption of alcohol in some circumstances, and of course it forbids us getting, you know, really, really intoxicated. And so a person who's given to this is disqualified from Christian leadership. Not confrontational. A confrontational person, of course, is aggressive. They tend to power up in discussions. They raise the energy level uh, in a discussion. And uh, this is something that's not productive. And so it's not good for deliberations in the Christian community. Not greedy for money. Of course, Jesus said it so flatly. Uh, he said, no one can serve two masters. Uh, either, he will either love the one and hate the other or despise one and, and embrace the other. He said, no one can serve both God and money. Of course, we all need money. Uh, the question is motive and identity. Are we consumed uh, with ambition to acquire more and more money for a deeper and greater sense of security and financial stability? 
or are we trusting the Almighty to provide for our needs and uh, a reasonable amount of income is sufficient so that the, the basically lust for more and more income doesn't distort biblical priorities and it squeezes out uh, our commitments to our family and our children and other important priorities in life. So, of course, we can have one or more of these qualities. Um, and one of the biggest challenges for all of us is discovering it. Uh, we can be, it's, I think the scripture teaches and all of us know that it's very easy for us to be oblivious uh, to our weaknesses. A self-willed person, uh, we can, if we're self-willed, we may just say, I'm, not a, I'm just a person with convictions. Uh, others just are, have no opinions. Uh, if we're quick-tempered, hey, I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. Uh, besides, you know, we should get angry about some things. Heavy drinker? Heavy? What does that mean? Uh, heavy is relative. Uh, I just have five or six drinks a day. Uh, confrontational? I'm not confrontational. Uh, I'm just looking at all sides, and I like being provocative. Um, not greedy for money? Hey, I'm not, I'm not greedy. A person has to provide for their family. What, you know, what's, what's that about? So it's very difficult for us to detect and change areas of weakness in our life unless, and let me be very frank, we have a friend who will throw the BS flag on us. Uh, we have a person in our heart and in our lives uh, who knows us sufficiently well and sufficiently deep to say, hey, I love you, but you're off base in this. You really need to think this through because in this situation or that situation, you're coming across in that way. And uh, if we have that precious gift of that kind of friend or a, a few friends, and we're open, we are teachable, we're going to learn some very, very important things about ourselves. And if we have those kinds of friends in our life on a routine basis, man, it's a life changer. Because if we can get connected to a Christian community, a group of people who are genuinely have access to the wisdom from above, and we expose ourselves to that wisdom, are open to it, and then receive it, we take it in, hey, life will be different. Because the wisdom from God changes things. It changes our lives, it changes our relationships, but we have to be routinely connected uh, to it. So Paul goes on, and he says, rather, instead of these six disqualifying uh, characteristics, he says the spiritual leader must, and it's interesting, he says, enjoy having guests in their home. He must love what is good, live sensibly, and be fair. He must live a devoted and disciplined life. He must have a strong and steadfast belief in the trustworthy message that he was taught so he can encourage others uh, with right teaching and point out 
to those who oppose it where they are wrong. So first, a spiritual leader, the kind of person we want to look for to appoint as leaders over us, is a person who genuinely enjoys people. They like people. They like being around people. They really get a kick out of and enjoy having guests in their home. Uh, I think this normally comes with a good sense of humor. If, people, if we get around people with a good sense of humor, it just elevates uh, our environment and our circumstances. And um, So this is a person who enjoys being around people, relating to people, having them uh, in their life. Next, he lives sensibly. That is, he, doesn't, he or she doesn't take foolish risks uh, with their time, their money, uh, their relationships. But there is a, care, a type of reasoned prudence and balance in the kinds of decisions uh, that they make. It says he, lives, he or she lives a devoted, disciplined life. That is, they, this person has sufficiently discerned God's priorities for their life, that they, and they are so devoted to those priorities that they consistently live by those priorities. They don't allow work or ambition or alcohol or drugs or pressures to dissuade them, even in times of difficulty, from consistently pursuing God's priorities uh, for their life. It says they have a strong and steadfast faith. This is a person with convictions based on the evidence. Uh, this person has exposed himself to the teaching of Scripture at sufficient depth and come to a certain level of persuasion so it's down in their bones so there is a stability and a type of permanence, although a flexible permanence to uh, what they are believing about God and about the basic teachings of the Bible. It says that then is able to effectively instruct others uh, that, and can detect and correct false teaching. And of course, this can be complicated at times because if a person's teaching or if a person's thinking is just a little bit off, just two or three degrees, if you and I are off in our thinking or our teaching, just two or three degrees, but we follow that trajectory for five years, we can be pretty far uh, from what the wisdom of God says is an appropriate way of life. Um, but if we have sufficient discernment, so kind of like an emotional, spiritual Geiger counter, so that we can know in our own life or in someone else's life, mm, that doesn't sound quite right. Or, or maybe, hey, that's, you know, you know, that's really off base here and can sensitively and carefully and effectively engage a person who seems to be slipping into wrong thinking or false teaching. They can engage them in that and help them understand, okay, are you really thinking biblically? Well, probably not, and here's why not. And let's talk about it. Um, well, these kinds of people, if, we, if we're a part of the Christian community for a period of time, these kinds of people become evident. I mean, they just sort of bobble up to the surface uh, like a, a balloon in a pool. Um, 
They are naturally respected uh, by the people around them. People enjoy being around them because they enjoy people. Um, and uh, they, these kind of men and women have a very positive influence because a healthy tree bears healthy fruit. Do I have a die? Uh, these kinds of people are sufficiently stable and balance themselves that they are genuinely interested in the spiritual growth and development of someone else and can contribute to that, uh, can help. Now, this morning, uh, we, of course, in conclusion of that little piece, uh, we want to, as individuals in a church, to work at developing these qualities, to look at uh, Paul's teaching on this subject in 1 Timothy and in Titus, and really take a hard look, say, okay, does my life match these qualities? And in areas where it doesn't, Lord, help me to see that. Help me to know what to do about that. Help me to change so that my thinking and my life and my relationships more clearly resembles the qualities that are described in these passages.